0: Happy birthday to pastor. That's right. If you quit having birthdays, you planted somewhere. That's right. It's good to have birthdays. Um, I also want to say if somebody could just just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what happened on Sunday. God showed up on Sunday. Amen? Amen. I'm thankful for that. It was a mighty move of the spirit on Sunday. Um, I'm thankful for you, when the Holy Spirit ministers, he can do more in one service than we can do in 52. And, and Sunday was was a, a blessing because that, that was special, I know, for Pastor. Um, he's been praying for quite some time since Covenant started, really, to have the Holy Spirit come in and minister in a way in which he doesn't have to preach. It's not that he doesn't have to, it's just that... At, at that service, you don't need to, because when the Holy Spirit comes in and ministers, it, it does a world of difference. Amen. Last week we talked about getting our attention off the giants in the land and focusing on the grapes because the grapes were brought back carrying with, with two individuals they had to carry the grapes. There's some big old grapes. And we we saw how important it was to have a good attitude and how attitudes are contagious and they spread and and what happened was the attitude of the the uh israelites there and the 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 community spread throughout and they had uh caleb and joshua stood up and said uh we're we're gonna have a different attitude don't forget the grapes like we we just brought back grapes that had to have two people and y'all worried about the giants so this week i want to begin and and talk about a topic i called it in it to win it all right anybody want to win something I like to win. I never, do, I never get to win when I go places and get a little ticket. You know, every time you get a ticket, I, I don't ever get to win those for some reason. My pastor told me to take dominion over it, and if I took dominion over it, I'd get to be able to win something. So I'm going to try that next time. Uh, we, we get to the place where we start winning because we're called as believers to be victorious. Amen. We're called to be above and not beneath. We're called to be greater and not lesser. And how many of us know that we, can, we can't win something unless we're in something? That's right. If you want to win a drawing, you have to be in the drawing in order to win it. If you want to win a battle, uh-oh, you got to be in one to win one. So we want to look at this for just a moment, and, and I'm going to unpack some scriptures. So if you have your word, please turn there with me. Um, we're going to start first in Exodus just for a little bit, and then I'm going to jump over to the familiar passage of Ezekiel. So in Exodus 13:17 through 18. Exodus 13:17 through 18. We've got the people of Israel, and they leave Egypt. Everybody familiar with that story? Yeah, God led them out, but he led them to a different place than what you would expect. So God led them uh, not through the land of the Philistines. He led them around by way of the wilderness. Exodus 13, 17 through 18 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That's very important to realize that that was the easy way, right? That was near. We could have went that way, but you didn't lead us that way, Lord. It said, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. God knew that if they would have gone the first route, if they would have gone through into the land of the Philistines, he says it in the word that they would have seen the enemy and they would have less gone back to Egypt. So he had to get them out a little bit further. Philistines in the land of the Philistines was nearby. So if you was just nearby, you'd say, hold on, I'm just going to go right on back home. Let me go right on back over here to slavery. So he took them by way of wilderness, meaning took them to a distant place where it's not so easy to turn around and go back home. They would have become discouraged and returned to Egypt. And we know that because it's later revealed in the word of God. How many times do the children of Israel say, are there no graves in Egypt? You brought us out all this way just to let us die. We had just soon died in Egypt. We know throughout the word of God, they say so many times, just take us back to the place where we were, because what you've brought us out here for, we're going to end up dying. So we, we know that God brings them out, and, and but the way that God decided to send them did not end up in a celebration or a triumph right away. They ended up in the wilderness. Now we know they were brought out and we know they're in the wilderness, but why? We know that they were brought out of the wilderness, out of Egypt. We know that they were brought into the wilderness, but why? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. Exodus 2. We got to go back just a little bit. Exodus 2, 23 to 25. It says, During those days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. They cried out about it. In Exodus 2, they cried out, they prayed about something that got them to where they are in the passage of scripture I just read in Exodus 13. And I love this, and I'm going to unpack some scripture for you tonight because just it stands out to me. I love it. it. It says, God remembered his covenant. In order for something to be remembered, it has to be able to be forgotten, correct? You say, well, God can't forget. I beg to differ. You say, well, God knows everything. But I, I, the, the Bible's clear, is it not? It says in Genesis 8 and 1, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and God made the wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. We're going to talk about wind blowing in just a minute. You say it's strange. Why did God have to remember something? He is God. God doesn't forget anything. Well, Jeremiah 31 and 34 says, And no longer shall see each other teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. He has the ability to forget. If he so chooses, he can forget something. He can do that because he's God. So we see here that the children of Israel, they end up in something. They're in a situation. They're in it because they prayed for it. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't all the time piece together when I'm standing in a place that feels like a wilderness that I prayed for it in Exodus 2, and it ends up being what needs to be in order for me to be in it just a few chapters later. You can't forget what you prayed for years ago and wonder why you're going through what you're going through right now. It serves a purpose. You can't be complaining about where you are when you prayed for it. But nonetheless, they ended up wanting out of their situation. Does anybody ever get to the place where you want out of something? You got into it, and now you want out of it. You signed yourself up for something, and now you don't want to receive it no more. They wanted out of their situation. And in, in, instead of the Philistines, they ended up between... Instead of going to the land of the Philistines, they ended up between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army of chariots. It looks nothing like what you thought it was going to look like. You prayed for deliverance and you end up at the Red Sea and you got an army behind you. It doesn't look like what you think it should look like. So before God gets them to the place that he calls Israel to trust, that he will fight through them, he has to take them to a place to show them once more that he will fight for them. Exodus fourteen thirteen to 14. It says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see never again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent you got to understand that when you're in a tough spot in life, when you're in something, God will put us there and get us there to the place, and then he fights for us. But you have to be in something in order to win something. We want victory, and we want salvations, and we want deliverances, but you can't be delivered from something if you're not bound by something. You can't be healed from something if you're not... If you don't have a sickness, and so we have these testimonies that we get to claim victory over, but we can't have the victory over them unless we've gotten into them or become in contact with them. It could be because you prayed for it. It could also be because you have purpose in your life and potential in your life, and in order to get purpose and potential, sometimes you have to be pushed. But no matter, it doesn't matter if we're pushed, if we prayed for it or whatever. In order to win it, you have to be in it. We say conflict builds strength. I ought to be able to bench press a Buick. I've been through some conflict. Anybody been through some conflict? Yeah. I'm not going to glorify conflict tonight. I'm glorifying victory in it to win it. But I can't win something if I'm not in something. So when conflict comes, it builds strength. Our problems and our circumstances lead us to a place where we want to tell God to get us out. Has anybody ever prayed to God, just get me out? Yeah. This is a serious question, and I want you to think about it. How many of your, everybody like to pray, you know, everybody got a good prayer life? Good. How much of your prayer life consists of problems? If if I called y'all and told y'all about my problems, as much as we call on God and tell him about ours, you wouldn't answer either. If I called you every time I had a problem, Pastor, you would ignore my phone call. You'd say, okay, I'm going to get it the first three or five times, but then after a while, it gets old. You're not just calling to say, hey, you just got problems, right? So we get to the place where we get in something, and then we constantly pray for God to get us out of it. God, if you'll just get me out of this one. Lord, I got this problem. Lord, I got that problem. Lord, I'm broke. Lord, I'm this. Lord, I'm that. It would, we are forever praying about circumstances and situations. Do you know when my prayer life started to change? I used to pray like that too. All I, God, I, I, I say this jokingly, but I, I really just feel like he never answered me on purpose. I never talked to him unless I had a problem at one point in my life. God, if you just help my family. God, if you'll just fix this situation. God, if you'll just heal that person. God, if you'll just do that. And we constantly pray like that. But my prayer life personally started to change when I decided that it was more about relationship with him. And I decided to start telling God how much I liked stuff. And how much I liked going places and how beautiful the day was. And, And I started telling him stuff that we feel like sometimes he should already know. But it's about conversation. See, we tell each other in our relationships with one another stuff we already know. It started changing when I started having conversations with him like, God, not that you need a compliment, but you did a really good job hanging out the stars tonight. They look good. I talk to God like that. I really do. God, you did a good job making that bird right there. That's a pretty bird. You say, that's crazy. No, it's not. You want to get crazy, come ride in my car with me and my child and my wife. That is crazy conversation. We can go zero to 100 real quick in any direction you want to go at any point. We talk to one another in relationship that way. We just, just fly off the handle, just get a, a squirrel right down the, the middle of the road. But we, we only want to talk to God in a formal fashion of prayer. No, he's about relationships. We say stuff like, Lord, I really appreciate Sunday. I've talked to God all all week about Sunday. I'll be walking through my house. Lord, I know you saw my pastor fall out on Sunday. You did it. Lord, I love that. I love seeing my pastor fall out in the Holy Spirit on Sunday. Why would we not talk to him that way? When you will start talking to him that way, I promise you, he will talk to you more than your ears can handle. We have to start trusting a process that we're in and stop trying to beg God to get us out of something because everything in our life serves purpose to get us someplace. There are times when God wants, to do, when, when God wants us to do something, uh, when God wants to do something for, for you, and then there's times that he wants you to be the vessel in which he does something through. So let's look at a situation of what vessels look like whenever you're willing to, to be a vessel. I want you to ask yourself, where are you right now in life? Are you facing any conflict whatsoever? I don't want to talk about detrimental conflicts. Just anything in your life that may be considered and aggravation and annoyance and maybe it is detrimental maybe you're in a dry place of conflict a place that seems hopeless or dead or desolate and and this doesn't have to mean that your entire life is turned upside down it could be just one area of your life I have felt like that I've had most of my ducks in a row but one just won't stay where it's supposed to be anybody ever been there I got my life together most of the way but there's just one area You can be struggling with an area of addiction. And when I say addiction, I want us to, as a body of of, of believers, stop assuming that addiction just means drugs and alcohol. There's people that are addicted to food. There's people that are addicted to gambling. There's people that are addicted to gossip. There's people that are addicted to sex and pornography. There's, There's many kinds of addictions that manifest themselves in our lives, and we can oftentimes overlook them because they're not drugs and alcohol. What about bitterness? What about turmoil in your marriage or your family? And no matter the situation, there's good news. You've already been equipped to win. No matter what you're going through right now, I don't care what it is. We could all write it down on a piece of paper and lay it right here. And I could go through each one of them. And I can tell you that you are equipped to win whatever you are in in your life right this second. Someone say, I've been equipped to win. So if your situation seems impossible, anybody ever felt like, God, this is impossible. If your situation seems impossible, you have to remember you serve a God that functions in impossible. He likes to move when it's impossible. I I read story after story in the Bible in the Word of God where he moves with the impossible. You see, he began with impossible. There was nothing and then spoke and there was something. That's impossible. Not for him. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need any help. God spoke and created something out of nothing. And in the creation, it was perfection. He called it good. I don't know about you, but I can't hardly do something once and get it right. I'll hang a picture and got to hang it 52 times before I can get it right. He just speaks and it's good. He didn't need a woman to conceive. He's God all by himself. He said, I'll make man from the dirt. Watch. Watch. That's impossible. Not for him, it's not. You see, science tells us you have to have male-female organism to create and, and reproduce, correct? God didn't need that. He said, I function in the impossible. I will create man all by myself. I need no assistance. So no matter what your impossible is today, God's not concerned with it. He don't care about your impossible situation that he is intimidated by what you may be intimidated by. No matter what it is, no matter how devastating your situation may be, there is acres of diamonds all around you in your life. We just have to see them. Only God can take absolutely nothing and create something. Jesus challenged his disciples with this, Matthew 17, 20. He said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Hold a minute. I can speak to a mountain and it move from here to there. And nothing will be impossible. And all I have to have is a little bit of faith like a mustard seed. God, that's impossible. It's not. It's really not. When you start to develop relationship with him, it's not impossible to speak to mountains and watch them move. When God asks something of us and we do it, it makes us look good. But when God gives us something impossible to do, he's the one that looks good. You see, it it will make us look good to do all the right things to, you know, we got to carry the Bible and we got to come to church. The religious stuff makes us look good. God's not concerned about that. He said, I want to give you something that's impossible that makes me look good. You see, someone who is, is armed with faith, is more powerful than a person who's armed with facts. If you have faith, forget the facts. You need to understand that in order to be in something, to win something, you have to understand that faith is, is way more important than facts. And if you're not familiar with your own personal faith, it's time to get there and realize just how much faith you have. You see, facts are real, but the truth is greater than facts. The facts say you don't have enough money to do what God is calling you to do. God, I want to be able to do that, but I don't have enough money. But Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's truth and faith. Forget the facts. You can look at the bank account all day. Some days it might have a minus sign, and some days it might have a plus sign. But God said, all of my needs shall be supplied according to his riches and glory so the facts and the faith, they don't line up, correct? I know you've heard this preached many, many different ways, and I'm going to try my best to bring some insight to it tonight. But I want to dive into Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 6. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. I'm going to come back to that part. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he sat me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Period. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Coming back there too. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and will cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am Lord. Talk about Ezekiel for a moment. Ezekiel means God strengthens or may God strengthen. He was a prophet that was called to proclaim a message of uncompromising judgment and a message of restoration for God's sake, not Israel's sake. He belonged to a priestly class. He was married, according to Ezekiel 24, 15 to 24. He was 30 years old at the time of his first vision in Ezekiel 1 and 1, and his final vision was recorded in the 25th year of exile, which means he would have been 50. And according to Numbers chapter 4, that is the range that marks the span of an active priest ages 30 to 50 Ezekiel spoke to a community to a group of people that were forced to leave their home he spoke to a people that had been broken in their faith the purpose of the message was to restore God's glory and Ezekiel gives an unrelenting message in fact, in, in, it's a lot in Ezekiel. If you go read it, it's a lot. In the Old Testament, only Psalms, Jeremiah, and Genesis are longer. Ezekiel's got a lot to say. He prophesied during a time of great confusion. Does anybody feel like we live in a time of great confusion? Confusion. We got people that's more confused as a football bat. They don't know what they're doing or where they're going or if they're going forwards or backwards or upside down. And if you don't know what a football bat is, I don't either. A time of confusion, we, we, I, I, sometimes I, I watch the news a lot, but I, I enjoy the news not because it impacts me at all. I just like, know what's going on? It don't get me all down in the dumps like it do some people. I, I, sometimes I watch it, I'll just be just full of glory i say yes we got another problem god is fixing to move we're living in some confusing times ezekiel speaks and communicates and it's clear in the writings of ezekiel that he knows the message of jeremiah he knows words that been spoken before he knows a word how many of you know the word of god travels When Ezekiel talks, he speaks a common language that has been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. The word of God is moving through these people, through these prophets during this time. When he stands up and says what he's got to say, it's got good merit to it. He's standing on something that's been told before. This book is a turning point in the history of biblical prophecy. So let's dive into it. This is Ezekiel's third vision. I mean, he's having visions all the time. We find Ezekiel in this large valley. It's a low place. I want you to take you back to your circumstance. Sometimes it's a low place. Just as low as it can be. Anybody have been there? Just one day you on the mountaintop feel like you're on vacation, the next day you so far down in the valley? When he looks around as far as his eyes can see, physical eyes, the the ground is covered with piles of human bones that were disjointed and broken and cracked by the sun, just as dry as they can be. You've got to understand that first off, this is a representation of an aftermath, a battle that has already taken place. To the normal individual, we would look at this valley and we'd say, whoop. They lost. They had it handed to them. I do believe they have lost. We would look at this situation and we'd say it's over. There's nothing else that can be done. You're all out of fight. You're all out of strength. You can't take another step. You can't do it one more day. You don't have enough to go one more mile. Anybody ever been there? Good. God likes to work in that situation. The Bible says in Ezekiel 37 and 2 that he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I want to talk to some very dry situations. I, I don't want, I, I'm not talking to surface level. I'm, good, I'm glad your bones are dry, but I need some dry, dry situations, very dry. The bones would give a notion that the battle had taken place and it had been a while since life had existed in the valley. It takes a minute for the flesh to fall off the bone, does it not? You got to sit there a minute. The valley is where battles would have normally taken place. And so we look here and we would conclude that clearly there had been a battle and these bones from the surface level had clearly lost. And then we have this crazy question. I love when God speaks in the Bible because he speaks in crazy questions. He asks the most off-the-wall stuff. Because to us it doesn't make sense, but to him it makes perfect sense. God asked a question. He said, Pastor, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. That's a good answer to a question you just might not be sure of. Oh, Lord God, you know. Here we have Ezekiel, and he answers very carefully in a wise way. In other words, Ezekiel has no clue how it can happen, but he trusted and knew that God could make it happen. He said, Lord God, you know, this offers perspective right here. See, you're down and depressed about something because you don't, because of something you don't know. But if the Lord knows, then why are you worried? If you truly trust that God knows if these bones can live, then why are you worried in your situation? Why are you overcome with defeat in your situation? If, oh Lord, you know if these bones will live. I realized that at one point in my life that I didn't need to help God out to protect me. I used to try to help him out. I didn't trust nobody. Not a soul. I used to help him out. I said, God, I know you got my back, but I'm going to have it too. And I would read scriptures like, touch not mine anointed and cause them no harm and and I believe that I was anointed to play piano and anointed to serve and and teach the word of God but at the same time I would help God out because I was anointed but at the same time I also had anxiety I'm just going to be real with you because I've been to a place where where one didn't make sense to the other how can you be in full understanding of the word but at the same time live contrary to it I walked through this very insecure season of my life where I felt like God needed my help managing everybody else around me. And then I realized that he doesn't. And if anybody had the nerve to come against me, he would handle it. I didn't need to handle it. He would handle it. If you wanted to try, then he fights my battles. And when you can get to that place, it feels good. You say that sounds like arrogance. You call it what you want to, but I call it confidence. Confidence. And I know my God's got my back. whether you have it or not, I know He's got it. It takes a while to get there, but it's good when you get there. The situation that Ezekiel's looking at looks hopeless. The bones were very dry, so you're not only broke, you're very broke. You don't just got 15 dollars in your account, you negative 342. That's not just broke. That's broke, broke. That's very broke. That's dry, very dry, right? Your marriage is not bad. It's very bad. The addiction's not just a surface-level addiction. It's a bad addiction. The very dry part. God likes to work when the bones got very dry. They said, Lord, if you had been here just four days ago, you could. And he said, no, I like to wait till he's been in there a while. The impossible. I want to work when it's impossible. So we know that he's in a low place. We know he's in a dry place. And a place that no one would look at and determine there would not be a soul look at the valley of dry bones and say they won. But the Lord had a plan. I am so thankful that he had a plan. I'm so thankful that he has a plan right now. Let's look at God's plan. Part of living in acres of diamonds is being able to refer to the Lord's plan. Have you ever referred to the Lord's plan? Ezekiel 37 and 4. I love this. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That don't make sense, God. They're dead. That don't matter. He says in Ezekiel 37, five to six, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. The first and foremost breath illustrates the power of the breath of God. What we felt Sunday was breath. There's something to be said about the breath of God in the word of God. The breath of God brings life to dead situations. Genesis 2 and 7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul. Psalms 33 and 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, their hosts. That breath can do something. It can breathe and cause life to enter into a dead situation. The breath of God brings life. The same breath that brought Adam to life is about to move in this valley Ezekiel's in. It's the same breath that inspired every single scripture you read. All 31,102 of them, the breath of God wrote it. It's the same breath that was breathed upon the disciples in the upper room. It moved like a mighty rushing wind. That breath moves all throughout the Bible. The enemy has you in a place you feel like you can't take another breath. That's where we need to get to in order to realize the power of the breath. Quit trying to get our situations out of the situation and stay in the situation and watch the breath of God move in our life and life come to it. So you feel like your valley's full of nothing but very dry bones, but hold on, there's diamonds in that valley. You feel like you're standing in a graveyard and everything's dead. Your marriage is dead, your career's dead, your finances are dead, your dreams have failed, you didn't go to college. I I really and truly have lived my share of being around Christians that speak that way. I'm done with it. We've gotten to the place that we gripe more than we give glory. We really can truly get hung up on that, and we can't. You say, my house is dead. Well, I'm glad because we got breath coming. You're in a good place if you are in a place where it seems like it's impossible. Because the greatest victory that has ever been won was won in a graveyard. There is not another victory. There is not an in it to win it anywhere else in history like there was in the graveyard. Your greatest victory comes when it seems like everything around, when they thought he was done and they put him in the tomb. When Satan thought he had won. It's easy to lose your joy and your hope whenever you're looking around in this valley. You see, but God took the children of Israel on a journey on purpose through the wilderness. The wilderness is nothing but dry and desolate. He took them to a dry place. Jesus was baptized in a wet place. And then the spirit of God led him to a dry place. Why? God likes to move when it's dry. And I'll preach on this next week. Because in the dryness... There's still water somewhere. We get in this valley and the enemy wants us to be dried up. You see, that's where the enemy came and met Jesus was whenever he was in the wilderness, the dry place. He'll get you when it's dry. He wants us to get anxious and angry and bitter and upset and impatient. And he wants us to be not happy at all. But you need to make up in your mind like I have made up in my mind. You are not going to allow another sinner to have more fun in life than you. You can take it to the club and bounce it if you want to, but I can take it to church and bounce it just as good. I'm excited to come to the house of God, just like they're excited to go to the club. We've got to get to the place that this is an exciting place to be. We look forward to being here. We can't wait to get back at another service if we got to. They'll turn it up at the club, but we get depressed and, and down to come to church. That's not how it works. You make up in your mind, there's no place I'd rather be. I'm excited. I was happy, glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You say depression is not going to stay in my house anymore. I am going to see breath move in this place. Anxiety, you got to go. Fear's not welcome here. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You cannot let the enemy dry you up. You cannot become insecure or discouraged just because your circumstances look different than what you know God has promised you. Nehemiah 8 and 10. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we are weak, something's missing. I've been in some weak places in my life. I laid in the bed for an entire year. I was weak. I didn't want another day to come and greet me. But the only thing that gave me strength was the Lord. The joy of the Lord. I would turn on T.D. Jakes. And I'd wake up about 9 o'clock in the morning and want to kill everybody. By about 4, I'd be running through the house. T.D. Jakes, nonstop. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I said, God, I don't even know what I'm getting ready for. But something would enter my home. You want something to enter your house? Turn the word on. We need something to stir up the joy in our life. You see, we cannot ever get discouraged when the hand of the Lord is the one that took us to the low place. I want to talk to you for a moment about the hand of the Lord. See, if you're not careful, you'll miss that. It says, the hand of the Lord took me to this valley of dry bones. You say, hold on, the hand of the Lord. The Lord led him to the wilderness. It was the Lord who recommended Job. It was the Lord that hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when it's the Lord involved, there's so much purpose attached to it. You've got to get your eyes off the dry bones, just like we did with the giants. And don't focus all of your attention and energy and time on the graveyard. You're looking at a graveyard. Focus on the fact that God has made a promise to you in his word. You've got purpose. Don't seek elsewhere. Don't look elsewhere. Your plan and purpose is right where you are. That's what acres of diamonds is. God can bring life exactly where you are. So when we look at this valley that Ezekiel finds himself in, I get excited when I read this. Everything was not dead in that valley. Ezekiel was there. There was something living in the valley because he was there. And the hand of the Lord is the one that brought him there. Everything in that valley was not dead. Ezekiel was very much alive the only thing alive in this valley was Ezekiel. You need to understand that you may be the only thing alive in your dead situation and if you leave then everything is truly dead. But if you stay right there and you let the hand of God protect you that he brought you there, you are the life in that valley. And if you can be the life in that valley and hold on just a little bit longer revival's coming. If you will be the life in a dead situation you may be the only one in your family that speaks Jesus you may be the only one in your family that goes to church and serves the Lord you may be the only one at your job that loves the Lord and and, and goes to church and worships him stay where you are because you're the life in the dead valley you may be the instrument of revival I want to be revival everywhere I go I don't want to go to revival. I want to be revival. The problem is we pray for rain but then leave the umbrella at the house. How often have we prayed for rain and left the umbrella at the house? I've been there. We walk around with lack of faith. He said you can do the impossible if you have the faith to do it. And and when God is ready for you to do something, he may just take his hand and lead you exactly where he wants you to go. In a desolate, dry, dead place because he's waiting on you to be the life that comes to the situation. You cannot mistake the battleground for a graveyard. When we look at this valley, it's a graveyard. But if you ask God, it's a battleground. You can't miss this. I love this. Ezekiel was able to see the bones. Why? Because they weren't buried. And when bones aren't buried, God's not done with them. The bones had been there long enough to become bones. They were very dry. If you've never been to the wilderness in this area over there, there's a lot of wind and a lot of sand. And if you give it a little bit of time, it will be buried. But in this valley, the bones had been there long enough to be bones, and they weren't buried. They were very dry, but they weren't buried. Chances are that they should have been buried. But the reason they weren't is because God wasn't done with them. God's not done with your bones, your dry place. You're not in a graveyard, Ezekiel. You're in a battleground. God, it don't look like a battleground. I know we got to do some work. Give me just a moment. We can't overlook the hand of the Lord. If you don't get anything else that I'm telling you to get tonight, write this down, tweet it, Facebook it, stamp it, wherever you got to put it. One of the greatest prayers that we need to start praying is for the hand of the Lord to come upon us. You need to let that be your prayer. I need the hand of the Lord to come up on me. When in the hand of the Lord is upon us... We can do what other people cannot do. Regardless of where we are in the natural, when the hand of the Lord comes upon us, things happen that can exceed our greatest expectation. Ezekiel experienced the miracle of the dry bones coming to life because the hand of the Lord came upon him. And brought him out in the spirit. We need the hand of God in our life every single day. Especially when the place is dry and barren. You see, you, you can make it to the top of your career. If you're promoted and you are the top of the top, I'm so happy for you. If you make so much money that you can do whatever you want to do, I'm so glad for you. If you have more degrees than a thermometer, I am so happy for you. But if you don't have the hand of the Lord, you will come crashing down at some point because it is only the hand of the Lord that upholds us. You can have it all, but without the anointing that comes from walking in communion with God, it is all for nothing. When we invite God to cover our efforts with his hand and the Holy Spirit, you cannot fail. You cannot lose when the hand of the Lord is involved in the battle. You cannot go under when the hand of God is the one that brought you to your situation. I don't care what they bring at you. I am a living, breathing, walking testimony of this. The hand of the Lord has been upon my life since the day my feet came out. And I have been grateful ever since. And there have been times when I've overlooked it. But I pray, God, don't ever let me get to that place again. Because it has only been your hand that I have made it thus far. It's the impossible becoming possible when the hand of the Lord is involved. And the anointing can only be found. In the hand of the Lord, in the communion and the protection and the relationship that he has. In Acts 11 and 21, it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned around to the Lord. If you haven't had anybody that you've been able to witness to in the last year, please start praying for the hand of the Lord to go with you. This may seem strange, though, because it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, Pastor. uh, Why not the Lord? Why is it the hand of the Lord? There's something about them hands. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Psalms 136 and 12, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. 1 Peter 5 and 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. You won't make it to the top without the hand. You won't make it through the valley without the hand. It will always be dry in your place without the hand of God. In John 10 and 29, my father who has given them to me is great than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the hand of the God if you are in his hand they can't come get you if you are in his hand they can't come against you if you are in his hand that's when no weapon formed against me shall prosper in the hand of God Isaiah 48 13 my hand laid the foundation of the earth that's why his hands important it's been at from the beginning. You said he spoke it. He did. And then he got down in the dirt and decided to do some stuff with it. He created and formed with his hands. You see, Jesus was a carpenter for a reason. He came into the world to work with his hands. Most of his life is spent as a carpenter. We only see three years and 12 years old and a baby in the word of God. He spent most of his life as a carpenter working with his hands. Psalm 63, 8, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Exodus 6 and 1, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. Isaiah 59 and 1, but the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. There's something about the hand of God. The enemy would love nothing more than to back you into a corner and get you to change directions and leave that dry place exactly like you found it. So all this is good, but what do we do about the bones? What do we do about the bones in our life? I, I've done the church stuff. I've heard that message preached so many times. Everybody in here has problems at some point in our life. We got that. We've heard that a million times. What do we do about the bones? Speak to them. Someone say Speak. We fight for the fullness of God's blessing in our life, but we only win by speaking it. The Apostle Paul gives Timothy very specific instructions, and I need you to get this. He says in First Timothy 1 Timothy 1:18 to 19, this charge I entrust to you. I'm finna to give you something to do, boy. Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, in accordance with the prophecies that have been on your life, in accordance to all of God's promises that have been spoken over you, in accordance to every good thing that is said about you in the word of God, in accordance to what the Bible says, that you may make wage the good warfare. Holding faith by good conscience. One translation says it like this. Use your prophecies as a weapon. As you wage spiritual warfare by faith with a clean conscience. You want them bones to come to life. You're going to have to go to war. Who fights with a dead situation? The word of God does. Everything that was dead, encountering the word of God, is brought to life. Prophecy is a word from God about your future. You need to look at your bones and say, quit lying on me. This is not my reality. Quit lying on me. If your situation don't look like what you know God has promised you, you got to go to war with it. Romans 4.17, as it is written, I made for you the fathers of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You've got to call it into existence that which does not exist. Call things as though they are not as though they're going to be in your life. That means that if it doesn't look good, you call it good. That means if, you, if it looks like you're broke, you say, I am not broke. You say, that sounds crazy. So does standing in a valley with a bunch of dry bones. You look at what happens when you start to speak. Ezekiel 37, 7 through 14 says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. First thing you need to note, you are commanded to prophesy over your life. So do it. I prophesied, and there was a sound, and behold, a rattling of the bones came together, and bone to bone. Somebody say rattling. I like whenever you prophesy and something starts to shake, but they're not alive yet. Don't quit prophesying. You see, we speak good things for a couple weeks or a month or two, and it's so easy to quit. We can't quit. He calls this breath ruach, the breath of life that has moved all throughout the Bible. It's about to enter into a dry, desolate situation. And I looked, and behold, there was tendons, and they came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. They're no longer bones, but they're still dead. Don't you keep prophesying? You better not stop prophesying. The Lord told him to keep going. You keep speaking to your dead situation until there is life in it. Do not stop because it starts to look better. You keep prophesying until there's straight up life in it. You need more than one word, you need more than one prayer. Going on in your life. You need more than just one moment with God every day. You need a communion of ongoing prophecy that takes place in your life. He said, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophecy, son of man, say to the breath. Hold on, we're not prophesying to the bones anymore because they're not bones anymore. We now have to speak to the breath. You say, well, that's God in coming into a situation. The Bible is all about reminding God of his word. Moses did it. Daniel did it the most powerful prayer you can pray is remind God of his word God you are not a God that you should lie you can't lie and your word said it so I believe it you cannot lie so I'm praying and reminding you that that's what your promise said And he prophesied, oh, breath, come and breathe and that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they stood up on their feet An exceeding great army. I told you it wasn't a graveyard. It was a battle yard. You just had to get God involved in it. You thought it was a graveyard, but when you get God involved, it's a battlefield. It's the speaking that initiated the assembling of an army. God has been speaking from the beginning of time. It is speaking that created the word. And if the enemy wants nothing more, it's for you to shut your mouth. He can't wait for you to shut up. Do you know the first thing out of Jesus' mouth to the enemy in the New Testament answered his question that he asked in the old testament the enemy was in the garden he said did god really say and the first thing jesus said was it is written did god really say that and jesus spoke and said it is written yes god did really say that If you want to battle the enemy, the only way you're going to be able to do it is to prophesy what is written in the word of God. The promise that is written in the word is what will stand. It's what will drive the enemy out. It's what will shut the enemy up. It's what will win your battle. But you can't speak it if you don't know it. How you know it? You get your index card and you write you one on there and and you speak it all day long. You walk around your index card all day long. That sounds crazy. So does standing in a valley of dry bones. So you better get you an index card. There's some battles the Lord will fight for you, and then there's some you're going to have to engage in. There's some battles the Lord will just show up and fight for you, and then there's some battles that you are going to have to engage in. You speak it into existence. You see, we receive some spiritual gifts by inheritance. There's some things that the kingdom is offering us because we are inherited into the kingdom. His blood is one of them. His grace is one of them. We can't do anything to earn it. It just is given to us because we're in the kingdom. His mercy is just an inheritance. His grace and his blood and his love for us is just inheritance. You don't have to do anything for that. You didn't have to fight that battle. He did. But there's some things you have to fight for. And as I'm closing, Matthew eleven twelve. 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. There are blessings like the fullness of prophecy that you have to start taking by force. You want the fullness of prophecy, a blessing in your life? You have to take it by. You have to command. He didn't say just speak to them. Just if y'all could get up, please. That's not what he said. He said command. Speak to it with authority that it will move. So in your life, in your situation, you've got to take it by force. You've got to do whatever you got to do to get the word of God inside of you. If you've got a situation that's dry and desolate in your life, I promise you if you don't know one and you can't find one on Google, you come to me a pastor and we'll find you about five or six scriptures and we'll write them down on an index card. And you walk through your house and you say no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You walk through your house and say I am the head, not the tail. I am above and not beneath. You walk through your house and you say by his stripes I am healed. And you get it so far deep down inside of you that the dry bones have no choice but to get up and be a mighty army in your life and the spirit of god came into the valley and they rose up on their feet and the enemy has to Go when the Spirit of God comes in and commands it to leave. Death has to get out. Sickness has to get out. All that has come against you, it has no choice but to go when you speak the Word of God over it. There is a scripture for every situation in your life, I promise you, and we don't even have to go with the one that everybody quotes all the time. Zachariah 4 and 7 who are you great mountain that's how you need to talk in your life who are you cancer get out who are you great mountain that you should stand in my way get out of my way and it will move you got to talk to the lies you gotta talk to the sin you say you talk to sin you better talk to sin you have to talk to the thing you speak to the addiction you tell the demon what to do this is not playing church folks This is not just patty cake and worship God on Sunday and go home. We are in spiritual warfare every single day and every individual in this room has the same authority and the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, lives on the inside of you. You don't have to have pastor or bishop or evangelist or prophet or leader, none of that. All you have to do is be saved by grace and believe that when you... Speak the mountain moves and the spirit of God will honor that because you are his child. That's all you got to have. You say addiction, you not going to have me anymore. You say the demon that lives in my house, you got to go. Yes, right. You open it. Got to go. Got to get him out. You have to declare it over your life. Debt is not my prophecy. The spirit of lack is not my prophecy. I am more than enough. I am intelligent. I am smart. I am bad all by myself. Why? Because my God is bad all by himself. And I was created in his image. And he don't make mistakes. And if I was created in his image, then I am bad all by myself. You say, that sounds arrogant. I don't have a haughty spirit that's attached to it. I have a confident spirit to know that my God created me with the same mindset that he created Adam with. He said, it is good stand with me if you will you say the most powerful prayer that you can pray is to remind God of his word you see when you remind God of his word you're not begging for something he already said it God please heal him Pastor, you've heard that before? God, please heal him. God, please move in this situation. God, please. God, please. I don't know if you use please out of an endearing respect. But if he said it, it's already done. You just simply say it back. This will blow some religious people's minds. And if you don't believe me, you can go study it for yourself in Exodus 32. It was Moses that reminded God of his promise that changed God's mind. God was fit to lay them out. He's fit to go in. He said, I'm done with them. Those wicked, broke neck people, he called them all kinds of names. He said, I'm better to lay them out. And Moses said, you do remember the promise you made. He didn't say, God, please don't do it. He said, you, were, you made the promise. Remind God of the promise. You said in your word, God, that I will not be defeated. You said that I'm healed. I'm just reminding you of your word. We see it in Daniel. Daniel said, God... At the end of this 70-year captivity, you said they'd be free. And I've been looking at my calendar. I set me an alarm, and today is 70 years. And so I'm reminding you of what you said. And on that day, God said, okay, let them go. So I want to encourage you that you're in it to win it, whatever it is that you're going through in your life. You're in that situation for a reason. You're in it to win it. And the only way you're going to win it is to speak to it the only way the breath moves and the body's raise and the dead leaves and the and the sickness is gone and, and the in all the only way for your marriage to get better the only way for your job to get better the only way for your car to quit being broke down is start speaking to it my pastor told me the other day i was worried about my hair i said i'm gonna go get me some hair implants i'm sick of losing my hair i'm gonna get me a good fro on top and he said speak to it I said, I will speak to it. You say that sounds crazy. Soda standing in a valley of dry bones. The only thing that changed that whole situation was speaking to the situation. So speak to your dreams, speak to your life, speak to your bones, speak to the low places, start talking, quit praying in your head. I, I don't understand. We will have prayer meeting, I say everybody pray out loud and they say, Amen. What was you doing? Pray to him like he's standing right there. Talk to him out loud. I need you to walk. I want people at Covenant Church. I want them to look at us and say, that must be Covenant because they can come in with just talking to themselves. They just always be talking. Why are they talking? Because we are a church that speaks to dry bones in desolate places. The reason miracles move in this house is because your pastor leads this congregation with a spirit of faith that says, when I speak, to the sickness, when I speak to the situation, it has no choice but to change. You've got that authority, the same authority you have it in your life. Stop praying with your mouth shut. Stop. Holding it in. Let it. I want Sunday mornings to be so loud in here, I got to turn it up even louder. You say it's already too loud. Good. I want it to be so loud. I want you to talk so loud that that your enemy has no choice but to hear you. I know that when Ezekiel spoke, he didn't say, Dry bones, dry bones, I need you. No. He said, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Come together, shake and rattle and roll. Let the spirit of God move in this place. I command you to get up. I know he looked crazy out there in the middle of the valley talking to himself, but he was in the hand of the Lord and he had the authority on his life to speak and watch it move. Open your mouth and speak. If it makes you uncomfortable, good. That means you got work to do. Get to the place that when they say pray, you say, God, I, right now you said in your word, pray right then. Pray out loud. Pray like you've lost your mind. Pray for a fresh fight in a battlefield because you're not in it to lose. You're in it to win it. Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity. God, I ask that you... Continue to pour out your spirit on this place. God, I ask that you move in dry and desolate places. I remind you of your word, God, that you said your promises are yes and amen. And when we look like the situation is no, no longer, you said in your word that it is yes and amen. So it has to be yes and amen. You didn't bring us to the place to leave us. You didn't bring us to the place for us to die. You brought us here because there's purpose here. You brought us to the wilderness. Because there's purpose in the wilderness. You brought us to a dry place so that your spirit can move in the dry place, so that we could leave different and changed and with life and life more abundantly you said in your word God that we are to be ahead and not beneath we are to be exceedingly and abundantly full of joy God I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak that word over this congregation I ask that the spirit of God move in this house like it never has before I speak to dry bones right now in the name of Jesus I command that you get up in the name of Jesus I speak to the breath and the holy spirit to move in the lives of the people in this church and this community i thank you for all that you do i love you and i praise you for all that you are and all that you ever will be thank you jesus and everybody said amen Amen.